Welcome to the Humans of Hospitality podcast. I know so many of you listening to this show love your local bar, your local restaurant, maybe your local hotel, and have so many fond memories of time in hospitality businesses. This is the podcast where we get to chat to the human beings behind the scenes of that industry. Maybe the chefs or the bakers or the coffee roasters or the gin distillers or the craft brewers or the entrepreneurs, but all doing an amazing job of making sure that hospitality stays interesting and the big dull formulaic brands do not take over our high street please enjoy the show In this week's episode, we are chatting to Michael Bremner, founder and owner of both 64 Degrees and Murmur Restaurants. And you may well know this week's guest from the BBC's Great British Menu Programme. In 2016, he did pretty well getting to the finals, and a year later, he went one better, winning the entire competition and the chance to prepare a banquet for Wimbledon Tennis Club. But actually, Michael Bremner wasn't a stranger to preparing great food under the watchful gaze of the the people just about to eat it. When he opened his first restaurant, 64 Degrees, in Brighton in 2013, he designed the restaurant so diners were just an arm's stretch away from the chefs. They could see the dishes coming together right in front of them. And the same early design also forgot about a bar, and you'll hear how that turned out later. In the next hour, you'll also discover how avoiding food envy has shaped Michael's award-winning menu, and how he and his partner Carla, who gets legendary status in this edition, had the wherewithal to open a second, very different restaurant only months after his marathon at Great British Menu. I very much hope you enjoy this week's conversation. Michael Bremner, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Much appreciated. It's a pleasure. Uh, can you just explain uh, where in the world we are? Because people will be hearing maybe some odd uh, background noises. Where are we on planet Earth, Michael? We are directly on Brighton Beach, just um, straight across from the West Pier, next to the I-360. Excellent. And it's uh, it's due to be the hottest day of the year this year, isn't it? It's so due we to be the hottest be... day of the year, yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. Well, I'm seeing be... that from a pasty Scotsman, you know, I'll be sitting inside... <laughs> In the shade. <laughs> yeah. I, I read yesterday, actually, that somewhere was going to close their kitchen because it was going to reach 38 degrees. But you've got a nice sea breeze coming in here onto yeah, the past, yeah. haven't you? So I think you'll be all right. It's going to be It's going to be good. Although I hear that trains have been cancelled because of the heat. That's so, true. Um, yeah. Yeah. It might not be as busy. No. We will see. Okay. So anyway, nice nice part of the world. Thanks for sparing my time. Um, we're going to come to what you do now and all about, about Murmur and your other restaurant. But I want to go back in time a little bit to start with, if you don't mind. Can you yeah. just explain, uh, yeah, how did you get into this industry? I understand your, your mum was a chef. Is that right? My mum was a chef. Yeah, that's right. Um, to be honest, food's always been in my sort of my life. I didn't really, I'm not really from that kind of background where there was always fresh bread being made in the morning and all that sort of stuff. You know, I come from a very typical sort of Scottish upbringing, if you like, where we spent a lot of time outside and um, that sort of stuff. But my mum was a qualified chef. And when it was Christmas or that sort of times, I always spent time, I was kind of a mummy's boy, I suppose, at the end of the day. You know, I kind of spent a lot of time in the kitchen with my mum when she was making stuff for Christmas dinner or my mum made everything um, home-cooked. I remember being like a special treat back then would have been like a boil in the bag, a bird's eye. There was this chicken supreme thing and it was basically chicken and a white sauce with rice and I absolutely loved it. It was like a boil in the bag thing and my mum used to get it out for me as like 
a special occasion treat thing, you know, rather than her cooking you. Rather than her cooking, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I remember one time my mum, she had a tomato and she made one point in time in my life that I will never forget is when my mum made this um, tomato into a rose. Have you oh, ever okay. seen that? You know, when you yeah. skin it, you yeah. take the skin off and then, very old, but yeah. at the time I must have been like eight or something. I remember looking at it and thinking, that's amazing. And just the, the thought of, and then I did, I did home economics at school with the, the cooking side of things. I absolutely loved. Um, and then an opportunity came up. My mum was uh, uh, worked on breakfast at, she was at the front of the house at a country house hotel about seven miles away from my hometown. And she got me a job working there, washing dishes and general sort of veg prep. Um, and then the head chef gave me a job as an apprentice. And then I moved out of my home and lived in which was amazing. I was 16 years old and I, and I lived on my own um, on this estate. And I just worked extremely hard. And I, um, the first two years were pretty tough, you know, as, as anyone has in that sort of kitchen environment. The, the chef that trained me, he was like five foot two, maybe he was a tiny guy compared to me being six foot four. And he had, um, his name's Bob. And he was just, he was just terrifying. Really? <laughs> like, <laughs> like to be brutally honest, he was terrifying. Like from, for, for me, being a 16-year-old lad, he, he, yeah, he was extremely passionate. I mean, he's a man, I think he was way before his time. You know, he knew, he knew all of, he did all the gardening in this state. He knew all about, like, we used to pick fruit and veg from the, the, the um, estate and things. And it was, it was a really great place to work. Was, was he more, more, more terrifying than Marco Pierre White? Because you worked with him as well, didn't you? He looks like a scary guy, but... <laughs> Well, I worked for Marco Poirot, yeah. He was he never really was in the kitchen. He might have been in there twi- three or four okay, times whilst fine. I was there, but um, it was more, that was Curtis Stone and Charlie Rushton that were the, the guys that, that were running the kitchen then. Fine. So, so this guy was, was, was more terrifying. I would have said he was more terrifying than... than, than even even uh, at five foot two. Yeah, he was just a, he was just a beast, you know, and he, 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 extre- he kind of spoke with a, um, a Geordie accent, you know, he was very... When you heard him, you just stopped. You know, you're terrified. Wow. <laughs> I can see it's bringing back memories as you speak. Yeah. But now, um, I mean, I worked with him for five years. Fast yeah. two years were terrifying. And then after that, it, we kind of became really good friends. And now, I mean, I very much seen him as a father figure, to be honest. And now, I could still call him today and ask him sort of a question if I had any problems. And he would be, he would still be very much a man that I would Amazing. contact if I needed to. Is he still chefing? Or? Yeah, he is. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Okay, great. Um, so was that was that uh, excuse the uh, pronunciation? Pitodry House is it? Is that right? Pitodry House. Pitodry. Yeah, is that where you were? Just outside Aberdeen. Okay, fine. Uh, so you did that, and then uh, what? Passed your apprenticeship and ended up moving to London. Is that right? Well, yeah, it was a funny story there. I it came to a stage of where my head chef said to me, I'd, I'd kind of been there long enough. Essentially, I don't think he thought he could teach me anymore. Right. There was nowhere to um, get promotion to because people then stayed for a very long time. So my next step would have I was. Um, Chef party, so I couldn't have got to sous chef because it was already sous chefs and so on and so forth. So my head chef, um, there was a Michelin convention or something at the restaurant, and my head chef met Chris Galvin, um, yep. and he asked him if I could go down to London and do a uh, trial or something along that lines. He basically tried to get me a job in London, um, which I went down for. But whilst I was down there, I felt it would be important at my age, you know, I was 20 years old. I thought I'm going to try and do one of the, I, I, I Googled or not Googled, but I seen another job for, um, a chef in Ibiza. And I thought that could be the one for me. 
So I went for this um, job interview and it was amazing. You know, the, the, the both of them I really enjoyed. The mission starred Orrery, which was uh, Chris Galvin was at the time. He, I absolutely loved that. It was in page three section. It was very cool. Um, and it was things I'd never seen, you know, coming from the country I used to tell, sort of, you know, I lived in the hills of Scotland, you know, and um, going to London itself was the first time I'd ever been there, let alone working in that sort of condition. I, it, it totally blew my mind. But then I went for an interview for the Ibiza job and I came back to my head chef and I said, he was like, how would it go? And I went, oh, I've kind of thought about it and I'm going to take the job in Ibiza and I'm going to go and sort of live the life for a little bit. And was that, was like, that for the food or the beach clad kind just of? Uh, for whatever, <laughs> yeah. you know, just to have a bit of fun. And he said, basically, no, you're not. I've already told the guys that you're accepting the job at, um, <laughs> at the Ori. So, um, yeah, I went and worked in London for three years. Wow. Did, did you try and argue that or you just, uh, no. there was another scary there was chef. No, there was you no just, point in arguing. Was, uh, great. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, I'm here. I, I am in the position I am today because of Bob Ovington. So, you yeah. know, I've got a lot to... Um, I got a lot of appreciation for that guy. So that that stint in uh, London, you you ended up working at a few, you know, really high class restaurants. I worked for Chris Galvin at the Orrery. I worked for um, from there. I went to work in a restaurant called Seven, which was above a nightclub called Home. Richard Turner, um, who's now, I believe he does like Hawksmoor and all that uh, sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. He um, he was the head chef there. He was great to work under. Um, again, I, I worked in pastry section. Um, and then from there, I went to work at Colvadis, which was Marco Purewhite and Curtis Stone. Charlie Rushton were the, were the guys there. Again, the pastry section, which I, I loved. Um, and from there, because I'd felt like I'd kind of done a bit of a London circuit, I wanted to go traveling. Yeah. And um, I knew a lot of people that had been to Australia. So yeah, I packed my bags and went to Australia. Which is unusual, I think, because I've, I've interviewed a few chefs who've, who've ended up uh, in London, uh, Alex Aitken, William Curley, James Golden, a few. And, and once they're on that kind of treadmill and got that trajectory, there's a, you know, they, they ended up sort of you know, getting, getting into it for years, I suppose, and moving up. It's quite, quite unusual. Chefs have a reputation, I think, of getting buried in kitchens and not seeing daylight for, for a decade and yeah. then coming out incredible. But well, yeah, what, what was your motivation then to, to sort of put your head above the parapet and actually get out? I suppose it was kind of like, you know, when I, when I went to London, I remember thinking, just the sheer amount of people and the fact that without being, I don't mean this in a negative way, but people like walk around like zombies, you know, and you think, Christ, it was, it was such an amazing, like being from the hills of Scotland, it was, it was amazing seeing this, how it all worked, everyone's, you know, it got rammed into the tube, everyone comes out and then. I absolutely loved it when I first got there, the sort of hustle and bustle. But then I suppose after three years or three and a half years, how long I was there for, I just kind of woke up one day and I thought, I just, I was one of them zombies and I just thought it's time for me to move on. And, you know, I've always wanted to be, one reason I got into cooking as well, once I started cooking, everyone said to me, you'll be able to travel. You know, it's one thing you will definitely be able to do. You can get a job anywhere in the world. Um, so yeah, I was kind of 20, 23, 24, something like that when I started when I went to um, Australia. Okay. And you knew you were going to go to Oz and, uh, and carry on chefing. Was part of the motivation to learn some, some different cuisine, I suppose? And, and did you? Was it very different in Australia than London? It was different, but I did. I definitely went over there for enjoying myself. I didn't really go over there to have 
um, to, to do 18 hours a day in the kitchen. Good. <laughs> so um, I worked in a backpackers for three months, which was great. Um, in the kitchen? In the kitchen. They must have been pretty happy to get somebody of your, your credibility. Backpackers, well, yeah. beans on toast isn't always that well, yeah, so amazing. Like flipping burgers and stuff, but it was great. You know, the money was great. And, um, and yeah, it was really good. I, I really enjoyed it. The sort of the banter with the, the team and um, it was something totally different I've never done before as well. So I kind of really enjoyed that. Um, it's not something I'd kind of do full time, but that was it was it was an experience. Yeah. And I got to stay in the, the resort for free and all that sort of stuff, you know, so it, it had a lot of benefits. Um, and then I also worked in a cafe that was cafe during the day. They did like breakfast and stuff and then it would close for nighttime and then it would turn into like a fine dining restaurant at nighttime. Um, and I really enjoyed it there. I was there for six months, even though I shouldn't have been. I think you know like I work at one place for three months, but um, I kind of left to go and do Uluru and all that sort of thing and then came back again. Um, and they were willing to sponsor me and all sorts, so I could have stayed out there. Um, but I ended up not not doing that. I wanted to travel a bit more. I did Thailand whilst we were going out there. Yeah. I came back and did <coughs> Thailand again. Were you cooking in Thailand? No. No? Just traveling? Yeah. Okay. I always thought, well, I traveled in Australia for a while. And I always thought the, the some of the best Asian food I ever had. I, I traveled in Asia itself for about nine months through Thailand and Indonesia and, and Tibet and all sorts of places. But what I found in Australia is that they had the influence of Asia, but with much better ingredients, you know, yeah. rather than just, just sort of chicken bones, they actually had chicken with flesh on and, and actually the vegetables, they kind of, they were just better at farming, I suppose, where Asia was very poor. So did, yeah. did you pick up some different skills, do you think, from that side of the world or, or different dishes? Do you know what? I'm not sure. I learned how to cook rice whilst I was over there. <laughs> okay, that that's, was, uh, um, that's important. That's something that stuck with me forever. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think with my food, with the way that I cook and stuff, it's hard for me to say like what, my, what really influenced me. I know Bob definitely influenced me. He was very much a kind of person that would t tell me how to cook, like not necessarily following a, restaurant, a, a recipe, but to f just to like have an understanding and cook from the soul. Yeah. And he was very much that kind of chef that would then constantly taste constantly touch you know he was very much about using all your senses you know like sight smell yeah. hearing he, like, he, he would put a piece of fish in and he would like say to me can you hear that you know and, like you'd, you'd hear it, like sizzling and he was like that's what you want it to be and amazing like he was very very he was extremely great person to work with yeah. okay so uh, you're away for a while 2003 back to the UK but you don't go back to Scotland or London you end up in Brighton uh, why yeah so whilst I was in London I didn't work many weekends, really. Um, so I used to come down to Brighton for weekends here and there. It was great, a great night out in Brighton. And um, yeah, I just thought it was such a lovely place and it was quite different near the beach, um, which I always quite like, you know, being from the northeast of Scotland, I've always kind of liked being near the, near the water. Um, so it's just a natural, I sent my CV out to a few places and it was quite a natural direction for me. So a restaurant down at the marina, which is quite new. Whilst I was actually away in Australia as well, I cooked, I actually cooked. Whereas previous to that, I'd trained as a chef, obviously, to a chef party level, and I knew how to cook. But whilst I was in London, I only did pastry. So I was very much focused on being a pastry chef, which I sort of studied for seven-ish years. Um, but then once I'd done the whole working at Quovadis and that sort of thing, I kind of wanted to change my direction a little bit, so still have the, still have the ability to cook pastry and do that sort of thing, but then focus on the food side of things, or actual cooking. So, um, 
whilst I was in Australia, I, I mainly focused on doing cooking only. Yeah. Do you have a preference now? Um, that's a tough one. I don't know, actually. I'm probably not as good at pastry as I, as I, as <laughs> I believe Because they're quite, they're quite mind, different disciplines, aren't they? Pastry is so uh, almost, you know, the chemistry, the science, science, the finesse. I think a little bit more cook by recipe still need a bit of soul, but I think you can you can release that kind of creative soul. I feel I'm not I'm not a, a trained chef, but uh, you know, a little bit more in the in, in the rest of the kitchen because it's uh, it's just less scientific. Yeah, I just you know what I really enjoy is just sort of I just really enjoy cooking and. It doesn't matter what it is, as long as I don't necessarily need to think. You know, like what I enjoy doing is is cooking something to the best of my ability, rather than thinking about, you know, how long this takes, how long that takes. Well, it's what I enjoy doing now is just go in the kitchen and I'll do a section, and I'll, you know, I love going into Marmar here and just cooking on. Get one of the chefs through the pass. And I'll just cook and then they tell me what they need and I'll just get it done and pass it over to them, you know? And I, I really, really enjoy that side of things. Yeah, nice. Not, it's my not, sort of day off doing that, yeah, you know? Like, exactly. It just gives me a bit yeah. of... When I was doing certain other things in the past as well, to, to relieve stress or to relieve... If I had too much going on in my mind, I would just go 64 degrees and the head chef at the time, Sam Lambert, I used to say to him, listen, I'll cook, you do a pass and I just want to just not think about anything. Perfect. And I would just cook all day and, just, and not have to worry about financials and yeah. staff problems and whatever else. Yeah. You know, I just did Com it. Completely in the zone. Yeah, and Nothing I love that. About. You know, it's my, it's my happy place. Yeah, you still get to do it. I still get to do it, every that's, now and again. That's the release, yeah. Um, there was another guy you worked with, Steve Dre at the Seattle, who you've sort of said a number of times is, uh, is, is, a, is a legend and in another league. What was it about him that particularly impressed you? He was great, yeah. He was, um, he was a man, he was a very funny man. He was a man that... Um, he knew how to clean a kitchen. Really? Yeah, like I have never seen anyone clean or have the team clean a kitchen like that. I've obviously worked in clean kitchens, but this was a different level. Like really? every, it, it was intense. Okay. We used to, like on a Saturday night, we used to do a deep clean on a Saturday night after service. We might not get out until like half past two in the morning. It would just be like a solid, wow, an epic clean. Every Thursday we used to do, Call the boys in the hood. All the lads would get up and do the the uh, solid the canopy. So they do that on Thursday, and then they do it again on Saturday night. The, the 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 cleaning schedule was extremely impressive, and that's something that I think I've taken. How do you convince a brigade of chefs on a Saturday night, the busiest night of the week, when you've just had an absolute ass kicking in the kitchen and yeah. you want to spend another two and a half hours after service cleaning a kitchen? You didn't really have an option. <laughs> Steve, Steve wasn't the kind of man that you would. Um, I'm just clearly not strict enough with no. my team. I always, I feel so bad. Was, I would just go in and, and you know, give them gratitude on a Saturday night and go, yeah, yeah boys, no, can I get you a beer? But, yeah, uh, no, no, that wasn't, that wasn't what he was like. He was more, um, yeah, I mean, if you didn't do it, you just find someone that would, you know, he was very, God, he must've gone through hundreds of chefs. I was a sous chef there for three years um, and worked under him for two of those years, I think. Um, and he was, he was good. Yeah, he was very, very straight down the line. You know, he didn't. There's no bells and whistles. There's no sort of fluff. You know, you, you didn't have to think in your mind: does he like that or does he not like that? You know, you, you knew he liked it or he didn't like it. And um, 
So Kitchen's had that reputation for years as being uh, very disciplined, very strict, often quite quite angry environments, yeah. uh, maybe in to, the, to the detriment of new people coming through. Do you think that's changed in the last Massively, few years? Massively, yeah. I mean, I've had some of the best times in my life in the kitchen. I've also had some horrendous times in my life in the kitchen, you know. I have been in those kitchens that are aggressive or um, you see people getting heart beating. I've had stitches in my face, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely a negative side to what food used to be. And at, and at the end of the day, as much as I get that and I get the, the I, I used to justify it in my mind for how people would behave to thinking, well, they're just extremely passionate about their job. But that doesn't excuse the fact to heart on someone, you know, or being, you know, in that sort of, um, just, just unnecessarily making someone's day miserable. I just don't understand that. I mean, now my team, both my teams, I very much try and encourage them. I mean, I'm not saying I don't lose my temper. I lose my temper. I'll shout at people. But once I do, that's it. It's done. You know, I don't hold a grudge. It's very much for the moment. And I think food is a lot, it's not that important. You know, like as much as I love what I do, I'm not doing, saving someone's life. You know, I'm not doing something. I'm cooking something for someone and not everyone's going to love it. And I get that. So I'm not going to treat my staff with, you know, extremely negatively to, to try and make them cook better for people. You know, I try, and, I try and encourage them to cook better. Like I always go in the kitchens and I always have a bit of banter with the lads when I'm cooking. And I'll, if I cook a piece of fish or something like that, something that I do, and I always do it. And it's kind of like, I think it was funny and then it went to being not funny. And then now it's gone back to being funny again. You know, I've gone with it for so long, it's kind of done that. And I'll cook a piece of fish. I did it the other day. And I'll put it on a, a, a tray to go up to the pass. And I'll just get all the lads around. And I'll say, guys, can you all come over here, please? And everyone will come over. And I'll just give everyone a big hug. And we'll just look at it. And I'll be like, see that, lads, see that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and everyone's sort of like busy. You know, we're doing like 80 covers. And I'll yeah. pull everyone over. I'll just be like, gee, lads, I can still cook, blah, blah. Brilliant. And then they all kind of go back. And it just adds a bit of fun, you know, kind of. I try to get everyone excited about what they do and showing them you know it, it, it should be fun what we're doing should be fun and I think if you've got a smile on your face it reflects in the food that you're doing I think there's often an irony in when you work behind the scenes in hospitality that front of house is, is all about fun it's birthdays it's anniversaries it's special occasions it's time with family and it needs to feel like a happy encouraging place and then in the kitchen and similarly, I probably used to used to justify I have a very different management style to some of my head chefs, which would be much more military-driven in the kitchen. And yeah. I thought that that clash of cultures from the past, where you, your waitress has come up to the past and she's kind of just sung happy birthday to somebody and blown out some candles, and then meets head chef on the past, who's like, you know, get that effing souffle out in the next yeah, ninety yeah. seconds, or it's going to drop. And it's a really difficult, you know, to, to have a, a business with two such a sort of uh, yeah, opposing management styles uh, is a real challenge, I think. I really try and deter that. I don't really treat us as front of house and back of house, you know? I treat us as one team. And I, I really encourage everyone to treat people like that, you know? And I think from the KP to the general manager, I don't, I don't treat anyone any differently. You know, I treat everyone with exactly the same respect. And hopefully they'll treat me with the same respect as well, you know? And um, I think I have a good balance of being everyone's, being having the ability to have a laugh with everyone, but at the same time, when I need stuff done, it gets done. You know, yeah. and I think having it's, 
it's an important balance to have, I think, especially as a, as a head chef or, or above, is to be able to, you know, comfort people, but at the same time, have that sense of urgency that people understand that, okay, now it's time to, to do our job and not always have a laugh. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hope it's changing enough that we get another wave of people coming into the industry because I think it did put people off for a while. There were some horror stories of, uh, yeah, of island kitchens. Yeah. Um, I mean, people like, you know, Gordon Ramsay's one of my favourite chefs, you know, as far as, and not only the fact he's Scottish, you know, he's a, he's a legend as well. Probably one of the best chefs, in my opinion, best chef ever. Um, but his, the way that he comes across with the swearing and the shouting and all these sorts of things, I think can put people off, you know, and I think there has been a point in time where there was a certain generation that came into kitchens. I've seen it, you know, where people get hot, shouted at, crying, bullied. You know, you're, it's not, it certainly wasn't or has been moments of not being fun in the kitchen. And if you're working 16, 18 hours a day, or you are, the last thing you want to be doing really is hating, you know, 15 of those hours, you know what I mean? And, and, um, I think people that have then left the industry told their friends, children, whoever else, and everyone else is like, I'm not doing that. Mm. You know, when you can go and, I don't know, there's a million other easier jobs getting paid probably more than what you would do being a chef. There needs to be encouragement for people to be coming into kitchens. And, you know, now is the time to try and embrace that for young people because there's definitely a shortage of chefs out there. And... Um, you don't do as many hours now, you know, what, what do you do now? Like 40, 50, 50-ish hours you do nowadays compared to 90 plus. Um, and it's a lot of fun. I mean, my guys here, it's a weird time as well, right? I mean, when I was, when I was a lad, back in my day, you know, you would, you do your 12, you do your, your shift, finish it whatever time after clean the kitchen till two in the morning whatever. and then you would end up going out for a few beers you know and then you would do the whole thing again and you almost had it was almost built in to play hard and work hard you know in that kind of lifestyle whereas now god about 80% of my chefs all go to the gym you know they, they finish at night and you'd be like oh I don't drink that much but I would expect someone to say should we go out for a few beers and then you hear someone saying oh no I've got the gym at 7 in the morning and you <laughs> yeah. think what it's interesting isn't it it's because everybody's got to look good on Instagram I exactly, think that's what it yeah. is they're worried about that. Yeah, what, what they're going to look like when they have their morning coffee I definitely think there's there's a positive and a negative to this but I think chefs are coming into it where they're coming in believing about you know your f fluid gels and your blah blahs and making things your, your sous vide cooking and the creative stuff, and that's what chefs are coming in to learn. Whereas not all of them have the ability to do the basics. And I think you still need to know the basics before you can start doing all the jazzy stuff that everyone's quite excited about. Um, so I try and, it's hard, because you want to keep people in, engaged and excited about their job, but at the same time, they need to understand how to make a stock or you know, how to cut vegetables or, or whatever it is and not just go straight to the funk, you know, just straight to happy time. Yeah, we, we seem to be missing out on that classic training. How much of that do you think comes, this, this kind of huge growth in the last decade of the casual dining sector, where it's, you know, it's much more relaxed style of food and doesn't have that, that history and that classic. Do, do yeah. you think it's because that's the kind of food they're going out and eating and they just don't have that kind of classic French style cuisine history we used to see? And That's a good question. I think just with the variety of produce that you can get now, it's just increased everyone's 
um, enthusiasm to learn something next, you know? Like, I think French food is amazing, but it's not really my thing now. I probably haven't been to a French restaurant for the last 15 years. And I would have no interest really right now of going to a French restaurant because, you know, I was classically French and classically British trained. And I would be much more excited about going somewhere that's... I mean, I love an Indian restaurant. You know, there's one in town called uh, Chili Pickle, which is way up there in my favorite restaurants. But, you know, what I really like eating actually. It's things I probably don't understand how they make it. So that's probably why food, Indian food interests me so much because I'm not 100% sure about spices and all sorts of things. You know, I think it's, it's not something that I've embraced. So, um, but yeah, I don't know, I don't know about um, the craze of casual dining. I think that, you know, I think we've gone through a stage of where it's all this sort of tablecloths and all this. I've eaten in restaurants. Bear in mind, I've cooked for a long time. And I've eaten in restaurants that I have felt like the way that front of house have been towards guests is almost like we shouldn't be there. You know, like, it's so la-di-da, and you think, this isn't what food's about, you know? This isn't what I think food's about. I go out, I ate in a restaurant in, I went to, um, my missus took me to New York for my 40th birthday, and I ate at 11 Madison Park, and I ate at Co, um, which is Momofuku David Chang thing. And um, the 11 Madison Park was outstanding. I mean, it was the best, you know, it was incredible. The service was insane. The food was immaculate. It was such an incredible experience. But I enjoyed my meal at Co better because it was just like, you know, they're all where they were cats back to the front. They're all like wafting a barbecue, the smoke's coming up. No one really is, everyone's attentive to talk to you, but no one's like cares that much. And everyone's sort of doing the dishes and chatting a bit of banter and guys coming over, filling up your drinks. And it was just such a cool flow, you know, it was such a nice, the experience was just great. And the food was epic. And instead of sitting there in my suit and having that kind of like, almost whispering to my other half about what, you know, and the, the, the experience was a lot more kind of chilled out. Yeah. And I loved that. I think that hospitality should be, you know, when I train my team, it's all about how the person feels. Food and drink has got to be there, but fundamentally it's a feeling thing. And yeah. that's what we remember. And if we feel relaxed and we can feel the energy in the room and the, the three-dimensional, the sound and the glasses clinking and people yeah, chatting yeah. and stuff. I don't know if that's where the name came from. Where does the name Murmur come from, by the way? Murmur is based on, so the, over the pier here, Yeah. certain times of the year, there's starlings and they fly ah, between the two fields yeah. in the marmorations. Yeah, gotcha. So, marmor. Okay, not the background noise of a restaurant. Not I went off on a, uh, on a tangent then, which we've done a couple <laughs> of times, So, we're, but I'm just very quickly going to finish your trajectory because you, you, you then, you stayed here a while, popped off to Canada. What was the inspiration for Canada? Canada is a place I just always wanted to go to um, and I wanted to learn how to snowboard. <laughs> I, I, so, I had a little rumour it was mainly snowboarding. So yeah, yeah. Again, good, good, good sign that you didn't just get uh, yeah, obsessed by hot boxes without windows and kitchens yeah, and actually went no, off and no. saw the mountains. I, I mean, I do believe that if you've got the ability to do something, you know, life's quite important, I think. And yeah. um, I really wanted to experience a few things. And I want my kids to experience a few things as well. You know, I'd really encourage them to go and do the similar thing that I've done. And... Not working in kitchens, of course, but more like, <laughs> <laughs> more like um, travel the wild and stuff. And, and the thing about Canada was, it, 
there's positive. You know, one thing I I, <laughs> I always say it to the people. It's probably the last thing I'm going to say today, but I'm going to say it. The thing about um, working in Canada is everyone's just too happy. Really? Oh, it's, it's almost frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> it's like everyone is yeah. loving life. Uh, <laughs> and you think, God, if you're having a bad day, you just want to be like, it's okay to have a bad day. Like yeah. everyone's just like, hey, brilliant. today's the day. <laughs> <laughs> I've got family in Canada and they're over for dinner tonight. So I'm actually meeting my Canadian oh, yeah. relatives for I dinner this evening. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of dreading them still being in a good mood by <laughs> nine o'clock this evening. I'll have, been, I'll have had our day's graft. So uh, yeah, we'll yeah. see how they go. Okay, so uh, you come back to uh, to Brighton, two thousand and seven, and this is when I suppose you know things get a, a little bit more serious. So, yeah, what was the food scene like uh, back then in Brighton, and where did you go? Brighton was, um, I think, Brighton's always been um, a party town. So people come here for studies, hendies, clubbing, that sort of lifestyle, you know. And it was, it, I think, food was more seen about something to fill you, so you can enjoy your night out, and. I genuinely believe that. There was, a, there was a handful of great restaurants. You had, um, there was one past in place. There was the Ginger Man, who's still going strong. Um, and there was Sam's of Seven Dials. And there was a few others. I can't quite remember off the top of my head. But there was about five. Um, and then I worked at a restaurant down here. So I'd come back from Canada. I'd heard about this restaurant. I got in contact with a guy, uh, Rob. And I got a job working at Due South, which was just right on the seafront here. Not a million miles away from Marmar, actually. And I was there for five years. And I'll be honest, I absolutely loved it. It was this extremely was, hard job. This was his head chef? Yeah, well, I started, I actually got the job as sous chef. Um, because there was plans to open a second restaurant for them. I believe it was down near this, the um, fish guys. But anyway, that, that didn't end up happening. And so the, the thought was that I would go in and do sous chef here and then go and do head chef in the next place. But then whilst I was there, the, sous, the head chef at the time left and then I took over as head chef. And then um, it, was a, it was an eye-opening experience because first of all, I feel, like they were at the forefront of the whole sort of sustainable local thing. You know, I'd never seen that before in all the places I worked at. It didn't matter if something was local or if it came from France or wherever. It, it was a product that it was a great quality product, but no one cared where it came from or what the season was about it. Whereas at Due South, it was only about 85% um, of the produce came within a 35 mile radius. Um, and it was intense, you know, it was, it was hard. Because back then it wasn't like it is now where you've got all your independent farms around. And I remember calling the, the, the um, greengrocer, our veg supplier and saying to them, uh, what's it growing at the moment? And the guy was like, grass is pretty much your only option. <laughs> and I thought like, okay, it was it's a limited menu. It, it was, a, yeah, it wasn't easy, but you really had to think outside the box. And it really pushed me in my abilities um, and what I could do. And I absolutely loved it. I, I mean, there was a, it was hard, you know, down the beach, as you can imagine, Brighton Beach. It was, um, you know, you could have 20 people booked and do a hundred plus, you know, it was, it was challenging, especially at the level of food that we were doing, you know, it was, it was, um, it was a great time though. And the guys that I worked with, 
it was there that I came up for the idea for 64 Degrees. It was there myself and the manager from at Marmar, our one who's here. Uh, we worked together there. My operations manager, actually, Jake, we worked together there. Really? Um, and my other half, Carla, is where we worked together and met. So, Juice so has got a massive part of my life. Yeah, deep rooted in the DNA of what you do now then. Yeah. It was one thing that I really wanted to do. I mean, they changed it to be in Riddle and Fins, um, but it was one reason that I really wanted to have a rush from down the beach was the sort of my experience down there was was extremely positive, you know. Yeah. I, I, it was, yeah, it was an extremely, I loved my time there. And the guys that I owned it were, were great to work with and um, it was uh, a good time of life. And that was kind of trailblazing, putting Brighton on the map food-wise, I guess, was it? Was It was one of the, it had a really good reputation. It had a really good reputation, Brighton. yeah. People would travel to come to it. It got national um, exposure. It was very, it was very good for, yeah, the local sustainable, the that sorts of things. Yeah, it was great. Which which has which has grown more and more. Um, and then there was a little period. So while you were planning on, on opening your own restaurant, you ended up uh, surrounded by vegetables at one point. Was that right? There was a yeah. Funnily enough, right, I read this arc. I had plans for sixty four degrees, and I was I was what you know, opening restaurants. It takes it takes an age. You know, I think it took me about two years to actually get the place open. But from actually having the idea to the doors opening was about two years. But before I did that, whilst I was trying to look for investment or that sorts of things, you know, I had found an article in the restaurant magazine, and I believe it was from—I want to say it was um, a chef called Nuno Mendes or, or something like that. One, one like him or or someone of his sort of caliber that had written an article. This was supposed to be years ago now, like seven years ago, that said. The long and short of it was that meat was going to become too expensive and everyone's going to be eating vegetables in the future and that 90% of chefs should be embarrassed themselves because all they do is soufflés and risottos. And I was that chef, you know. I was the guy who was doing soufflés and risottos. Like vegetarian food, in my, my opinion back then, was like, it was a back burner. It was like, let's focus on what's important, being meat and, and fish and those sorts of things. And then the vegetarians can basically get whatever's left. And I was... It really hit home to me. That article was like, this is, it's an important thing, you know, and, and, and I love vegetarian. I, I mean, I even enjoyed eating vegetarian food. I just don't know in my mind why I didn't ever give it the time of day. So I, um, there was a restaurant in town called Food for Friends that were looking for a head chef. So I went and met the owner of that ramen and um, yeah, we had a conversation. I was honest about me wanting to open a restaurant. Um, and he needed someone, so I did a year there, and it was insane. You know, I, I feel like I felt like a commie going back in there. Like the the ingredients, it's hard enough writing a menu. I think when you're just doing like <laughs> like two starters and two main courses, of vegetarian, vegan, whatever. And this was like a whole menu. And I remember just being like, I think I remember saying to my other half, my other half used to be vegetarian um, before she fell pregnant. And I remember saying her at the time, I think I might have made a massive mistake. You know, I think this is, this is out of my comfort zone. But, you know, we did all right. 
we won best restaurant in Brighton on the Brighton Home Food Festival. So we're really? just, we're competing, just yeah. With so out of all restaurants, the veggie won one. Yeah, that was pretty um, spot on by the the the, the uh, person who predicted that, though, really, wasn't it? Well, with the change we've seen, partly in certainly in beef prices and stuff over the last few years, but actually that that growth in plant based kind of dining, uh, that that must have been a stroke of luck, really, in some ways, that you went and did that. Because if you noticed it now as being a, a, a growing market. Yeah, I mean, especially in Brighton. I think there's a lot of, um, I think, personally, and I try and encourage my family, my kids to do this as well, is we try and, well, one of my daughters is now a pescatarian, but before that, we would always have like two meat, two fish, two veg over the course of a week, and then a sort of wild card. And then that could be a takeaway or that could be another whatever. So, so Not the boil in the bag, chicken, supreme. No, I make you're not, that. You're not, you're not that spoiled. I make that for my kids. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I wish. I might go and buy one <laughs> to date, to be honest with you. <laughs> See it on the specials menu later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that the embracing, I think it's all about balanced diet. You know, everyone's talking about if you eat less meat, it's going to be better for the planet. And I, I honestly, I'm honestly in a position now, especially having um, Mama, you know, we're the people that are at, almost at the front line, really. You know, we're the people that can dictate as in restaurants, are people that can dictate what the customer eats, you know? It's our choice what they eat. And I'm kind of, hopefully, our putting, I mean, obviously it's their choice to eat in the restaurant or not, but for what we put on the menu, I mean, it's our choice. And I really want to encourage people eating vegetables and, you know, we, I try and use as much as we can in the best way that we can. And there's so, such great suppliers in Brighton now. Um, the reduction of plastic and all these sorts of things is kind of what I, I really want to, to focus on as much as the, the vegetable-based things. But it's all a positive, you know? I mm. think there's no... I think the way that it's... it's more, for me, it's more the mass farming of things, you know? Like the pork and the chickens and all these sorts of things. Like... The, the difficult thing is that they make it so cheap that you get the option of having three chickens for a tenner or whatever it is, and then you can get like an, a free, uh, organic top of the range chicken for 15 pounds. I mean, everyone's gonna go for the, for the three chickens for a tenner, aren't they? Like people that, everything's so expensive at the moment that no one's gonna really take the step. And what they need to do is just eliminate it so there isn't an option for that sort of treatment towards animals or whatever. So the only option is 15 pounds chicken. So you have that once a week. You utilize it as much as you can. And then the rest of the time you're having, you know, vegetables or could be insects in the next couple of years. You know what I mean? Could Who knows? Be. Yeah. But, um, or or, or uh, yeah, chicken grown in a, uh, in a, in a dish, a Petra dish or something yeah. like that, isn't it? So like the, the option is there. And if you're, you know, most families in the UK is it, 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 you have a budget. You know, you, you and if the option is to get the cheaper thing, then I would put my life on it that that is what a lot of people are gonna gonna go for because it is it's 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 feeding a family. You know, and and I think that's that's something that is only gonna change if there's more knowledge put out about how to cook things and if the product's not there for people to be able to buy.
Mm. Do you feel a sense of responsibility as a chef that, you know, there's a lot of uh, growing uh, diabetes, obesity, you know, clearly we, we have a, a problem with food or perceived problem in, in this country and in the US in a different way than probably around the Med and, and you know, France yeah. and Spain. Do you think we have an obligation to actually take some responsibility for what we feed people or is it just a case if people want to buy it, let them buy it? No, I mean, I'm very much, I very much focus on, um, we do our best to have healthy, um, fresh, you know, we make everything in house. And I, I think it's important to, we give people the option, obviously if, if, for whatever, I mean, if I want to cook something in butter, then I'll do it, if, you know, I'll, I'll always state things that we're going to be doing, but I'm not suggesting that we're going to only serve salads and raw fish for the next little while. But I think, I think we do need to all embrace the, not only the, the pollution and the, um, that's a bigger thing I'm worried about, to be honest with you, is, the, is what we're doing to the world through waste. Um, but I also do think about um, what people eat. But at the end of the day, it is that, that person's choice. You, know, you, can't, you can't stop someone from buying five Mars bars and woofing them down, you know what I mean? And I think it just takes a bit of willpower from that person. I think the bigger problem is single-use plastic and... Um, waste mm. yeah certainly wasting food although uh i think the uh the meat industry in particular and the amount of you know fossil fuels required to kind of you know feed all of the or to grow all of the food that we're then feeding to the to the animals it's a very um inefficient way of of kind of feeding the planet i think so i've changed i mean in the 18 months ago uh, i was the same you know i was kind of like veggie food that we always made sure there was some veggie i just used to get annoyed by vegetarians coming in and going look there's only three dishes on the menu and all that kind of stuff whereas as I've become more educated around it, I guess we now, rather than having a separate little section at the bottom of the menu, we're trying to give people a plant-based option right up in the main menu next yeah. to the core food. So on our burgers, you know, we've got a, a seafront restaurant in the day, a little bit like you mentioned earlier, sort of more cafe by day, restaurant by night. But it's kind of like, you know, beef burger, chicken burger, plant burger. If there's a curry, it's a fish, it's a, it's a chicken, it's a plant. Uh, we even do, a, you know, a nachos and a plant nachos with, with some sort of uh, cashew cheese and stuff. And uh, yeah, I think if we can start to build it in, uh, for me, telling people to cut down on their meat and only have it twice a week is, is probably a bit nanny state and it's not going to work. Whereas if you can show them and say, actually, look, here's a beef burger and here's a plant burger. And, and rather than, you know, kind of when we were just, it was a token gesture, you know, kind of deep frying some bloody, you know, veggie burger and it was horrible. Whereas now actually thinking about how can we get some goodness into that? How do we get whole yeah, foods yeah. into it? Can we put some, some quinoa and some black beans and some beetroot and, and come up with these kind of plant burgers where actually they punch really good flavor and, and yeah. you bite into it and you go, you know what? I think that's probably actually better than the beef burger. So I think that ability to move away from, you know, maybe our parents who just made mushy broccoli and carrots, maybe not your mum, she was a chef, but my mum did, yeah, yeah. to actually we can make plant-based food awesome. But I'd much rather that we went along the whole food plant-based than these kind of weird burgers that are made in a factory in America that are trying to replicate meat. It's like, why, why bother trying to replicate meat? Why don't I, you just kind I mean, of process, have something else? Like a lot of that, Everyone talks about the processed meats and things, but a lot of the the vegetarian things, like the way they're processed as well. Oh, it's just dire. It's yeah. wrong, yeah. It is wrong, yeah. Okay, anyway, so you uh, you end up uh, going on that little adventure and then finally uh, open your own place. So uh, 64 Degrees, how was that? Instantaneous success? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say it was instantaneous <laughs> success, no. Was like, it a thousand pounds the, the first week? Or? <laughs> get, yeah, getting the doors open was... <laughs> was so hard, you know, like going from being a chef to being a restaurateur. It's a, I wish I'd done a little bit more research to be honest with you, you know, like 
it's not easy. It's probably the hardest thing. I mean, I've done quite a few hard things in my day, and that's probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, it's kind of why I've got a lot of grey hair, I think. You know, like I'm just laughing at the fact you said it was. Surely it still is, isn't it? Is it? Is it a walk the park now? I don't know. <laughs> or just was, that first. There was. There was. I've done year. a few. Like yeah. the banquet at Great British Menu almost tipped me over the edge. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, opening a restaurant just because just because of the duration, and I didn't really think about a lot of things. You know, I was kind of naive, stupid in some senses. Um, you know, I didn't even put a bar in into 64 degrees. There was no place to put a side of alcohol. Really? Wow. And I didn't even think of that. Okay. Like, until that is, that is until it obsessed. was going. Yeah. <laughs> until it was basically built. With the first 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 person yeah. who ordered a beer and you yeah, went, ah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It kind of was on. like that. And I didn't apply for an alcohol license and I thought it was just something you could get. Brilliant. And um, yeah, it takes, turns out it's quite a long process yeah um but you know all these things are learning <laughs> it's uh, i've had those debates over the years with chefs who because from a uh, in, you know a chef perspective it's all about the food it whereas is. from a restaurant perspective you know it's 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 the art it's taken not me the a science. long time to learn that yeah and like, that's normal in, in we're in, six years six years this year and it's probably just the last two years that i've actually thought that there's more to it than just the food you know i've just been so one-dimensional a lot of times and just mm. focusing on what i think is important but now, you know, my other half, Carla, <coughs> I hate to say that she's, you know, she would say things to me like, maybe, you know, making it out like I might be incorrect. And I'd be like, no, way. no possible. <laughs> and, then, and then it turns out that she's right and I am incorrect. Yeah. Which um, any, we might any, want to delete that from yeah. here. So she <laughs> I won't, I don't worry, I won't let her listen. <laughs> but any specific examples? Was this... Uh, Sell, sell beer. No. Um, there's a few. But yeah, when I opened the restaurant, I think I, I didn't, it's kind of really bad. I mean, what am I going to say? Like, it's probably the worst way of going into business, right? I didn't do any publicity. I didn't have any um, PR. I didn't tell anyone. You know, we just basically opened the doors. I was so sort of terrified at the fact of, because the food style was something so different than Brighton's ever seen before that I didn't want there to be queues of people coming in and the kitchen to go down. I mean, that was my biggest worry. So I just wanted there to be a couple of people come in and then we'd serve people at a comfortable rate and then kind of do it like that. But I did, originally, there was no bookings. You could just walk in. It was insane, really. Um, so the first week, I think we opened on a Thursday. And by the Sunday, I think we'd taken something like 800 pounds. Wow. And I remember thinking, Ah um, well, then the next week we took like for a whole week, you know, we took I don't know two thousand pounds, something like that, one thousand five hundred pounds. And then I remember thinking, I think I made a massive mistake. And I remember taking the head chef to this side, and I was like, I don't know what we're going to do. And then something happened, and it was like um, <coughs> we got an incredible review. It started picking up slowly, and we got a lot of like people talking about us. And there was a few things on like. I can't remember Instagram. Instagram wasn't around then, I don't think. I think it was Twitter, maybe. There was a few things on Twitter, and we, were, we seemed to be popping up a lot on things, and we got a little bit more busy. And then we got an incredible review in The Observer from a food critic, Marina. And, um, yeah, she basically said, essentially, that we were the best thing that's ever happened. The best thing to happen in Brighton for a long time, possibly ever, I think was one of the comments. Um... And yeah, from that point on, I genuinely, I've said this a few times, and I remember reading an article a long time ago 
I think it was by Marco Pierre White where he said that there was a certain food critic come in and, and praised, his food, praised his meal. And he claimed that that was the moment that changed his life. And I honestly believe that the review that we got on the Observer changed everything about 64 Degrees. Because um, we went from being, you know, all right to being, I could have done, I could have turned the restaurant like eight times a day for a long time. Um, I had to hire someone just to answer the phone, you know, it, was, it went totally insane. And then from that, it just kind of escalated from, we had a lot of reviewers in and I also got um, the opportunity to go on Great British Menu. Um, so yeah, and just before that. we talk about that, so the, so the concept, you mentioned it being very different. Can you just explain how does it work in there? Because you're, you're pretty much, uh, well, the, idea the kitchen's was, in the restaurant basically. Yeah, the idea was always meant to be what I originally wanted, where 64 Degrees is now, wasn't originally where I wanted it to be. It was originally going to be down on um, Kensington Gardens. That was the place I really wanted. Kensington Gardens, and it was just going to be a bar. There was going to be 16 people sitting at it, and it was going to be um, chef serving only, and that was going to be it. That was the dream. Um, obviously, that didn't, I mean, it's, uh, where it is now, came up and someone told me that it's like with that site that we have now is kind of like the Lamborghini of sites you know it's kind of like the one you want so um, it then had tables and that sorts of things it was unrealistic for chefs to just serve everything and it turns out chefs don't know that much about wine and stuff so basically I then started hiring front of house um, I started off with four chefs one front of house and that soon so there was five of us to start off and we basically just whacked all the time you know I closed Sundays and Mondays, I think. And then um, we just opened the rest of the time and everyone just worked. Um, and then that's kind of gone from five to now we've got 20 staff. Wow. From office to, yeah, KPs and all sorts. So, yeah, I think it was, uh, it was just, you know what, everyone reckons that, I have had a few people say that, you know, 64 degrees, has changed the way that Brighton eats and it's, you know, that sort of thing. And I'm not, on, I don't want to talk it down or anything, but what I will say is I think it was just ready for something and we both connected at the same time. I just think I was, you know, it could have been anyone. I don't think it's the fact of what 64 degrees is. I think it's just the fact that we, it happened at the exact right time to then take this next food evolution that's happened in Brighton. Because mm. the food stand in Brighton has gone, has ramped up a lot, you know, in the last five years. It's incredible. I mean, I'm extremely proud to be part of the food scene in Brighton because it's, it's great. And I can recommend. The best thing about it as well is that we're all mates. You know, no one in, no one in Brighton, or that I know of anyway, wouldn't wish the best for another person. You know, if someone comes down from Brighton, if someone comes down to Brighton from London or whatever, chances are they're going to eat in three or four restaurants. You know, they're going to stay in a hotel. They're going to eat probably, if they're coming down to eat at 64 degrees, chances are they're going to eat a little fish market or Stephen Edwards, or they're going to eat at... Uh, ginger man guys or whatever you know they're gonna eat in it just makes everyone's business better and I think everyone's in the same wavelength and um, everyone wants the best for everyone else you know there's no sort of competition really 
There's banter. Yeah, you know, exactly. We've all got a bit of friendly banter. Yeah. I think it's the nice thing about this industry is that uh, you know, fundamentally it's about hospitality, isn't it? I don't think you should yeah. work in this industry and be an arsehole, basically. It's kind no, of like yeah. we're, we're, we're on a... It's amazing how many there is. There are, there are, but we, we fundamentally, ones who are doing it for genuine reasons, you know, it's that, I think it's a reflex. You, you By reflex, you want to make somebody else happy. You want to look after them. Somebody walks in, you want to kind of say, hey, can I get you anything? You know, take yeah, a seat, yeah. relax, kind of spend some time, just uh, just chill out. I think it's I think it's built into certain people's DNA and, and other people have the complete opposite and they shouldn't yeah. work in hospitality, but there are a few of those yeah. uh, as well. Um, but that, for those who don't know, how many covers is 64 degrees? Because it's not a big place, is it? It's, it's, it's 20 covers. Yeah. When we first opened, it was 27. <laughs> right. But, but I, you had to make them for the bar. I had to make a bar, so yeah, <laughs> someone's come out. <laughs> okay. And it's uh, it, was, it was inspired a little bit by food envy, so it's a lot of sharing dishes, is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's mm. the main thing behind it, yeah. So there's nothing worse than sitting in a restaurant and you're all having a main course and you notice that your partner's got a dish that you really wanted so the idea behind it essentially was to get a plate in the center and everyone sort of digs in you know digs into it and has a bit of a has a um has a bit each and that's i love eating like that i mean i know it's not everyone's cup of tea and it can be a bit awkward if you're depending on what your environment is but yeah, it's about sharing and it's about it's about enjoying yourself. And the amount of times on the pass area, so it goes from um, one to ten on the pass, and then there's ten tables. So there's ten in the pass and ten on the um, tables. And on the pass area, there's four at the top end and there's six at the bottom end. And the amount of times it could be three twos there that'll end up chatting. So if I'm on the pass, I have conversations with people, we have a bit of a laugh, and then. Um, then two might start talking to each other and then the the six the three couples then end up starting talking to each other and then they'll end up all leaving together and going for a drink together you know and we there's actually one group of people that comes that there's um, two couples that come back to the restaurant because that's where they met really so, and they just no, became nice. mates so yeah. then they'll go out and have a few drinks and they'll come back to the restaurant that's really nice you know it's good to be it's just good to have that energy and it goes back to the dining thing where I want people to have a laugh. You know, the music's probably a little bit too loud, but it's kind of what I like, you know, and, and everyone's kind of enjoying themselves. I think there's a lot of energy in there on the start of the night and you want there to be, there's nothing worse than it just being like misery. You see, like, you sit next to the person and it's just like straight-faced. We try and get a bit of energy in there and get people to enjoy their day. Mm. It's kind of what I want the staff to achieve is. It's not about us serving them the best meal they're ever going to have. I want them to really enjoy the meal they're going to have, but I also want them to have the best experience. You know, and the experience is the key, and that puts me back to the fact that it's not always about the food. You know, it's I was going to say you've got you've gone on that journey from it just being yeah. about food to really getting that 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 kind of energy. I think is exactly. Again. And uh, I always say to my team, you've got to be professional first, without a doubt. But fun should be really, really close second. Yeah, you can't yeah. have it the other way around. You can't have more fun than professionalism. Yeah. But as long as you're professional, have fun because there people are coming in for fun and they will feed off of that energy. We love Definitely, that kind of banter yeah. of and uh, yeah, the the, the, the chefs are. Can you make money? Because twenty covers wouldn't generally be enough to make cash. I We've suppose got in the restaurant tables. world. So you, yeah, speed of speed of service must be key. I yeah. suppose turning the tables. Yeah, we do we do turn the tables, but I'm I'm in the process of I'm actually I mean sixty four degrees is never going to be the place that's going to make me my millions. You know, it has always been about food. Yeah, <laughs> what I just said there, but it's about the experience and what you know. Essentially, what I'm going to do in the future, just coming up very soon, actually. Bit of, bit, of, uh, bit of inside noise for you is we're going to be changing the dynamics of the restaurant a little bit I'm going to close a couple of days I'm going to close a day and I'm going to do a few close a few shifts just to get the team sorted because the restaurant gets beasted too much you know it's like it's done a hard graft the last we've been open 
pretty much every day apart from Christmas for the last six years and it's it needs a rest right. and the team needs a rest so I'm going to focus on what what's important and we're going to do less covers I'm going to do less turns I'm just going to focus on my team I'm going to focus on the experience so nice. that's that's what's happening in the future yeah you can do that financially yeah I mean like I say you know as long as it's as long as I'm losing money I'm gonna I'll be happy yeah excellent it's, it's uh, yeah it's it's nice to do that and, and that's what I love about you know, this side of the industry, gen genuine hospitality, where yeah. it is about people going in and having a good time, but it is also about, yeah, looking after your team and not and not kind of killing them as well. Yeah. We're in we're in peak service now, you know, height of the summer. My guys are getting an absolute beasting down in Bournemouth where my restaurants are on the seafront. And, uh, you know, I feel for them and I have to keep saying, look, seven weeks, seven weeks to go. And I promise you it will it will fall off a cliff. But, but uh, I yeah, find it, I, it was hard for me to adjust to that, you know, like from my, my life back then, you know, you do five doubles or six doubles, whatever. And that's just what you did mm. all the time. And then when you hear people, the young lads saying, oh, it's my third double. And I just think to myself, you know, what? <laughs> <laughs> Crack on, you're just like, you are, you're 21. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. now I'm a lot more caring towards that. And I'm like, yeah. oh, that's not good. You know, let's, no. let's change that. Yeah. I'm a lot more soft. Yeah. I'm, I'm too soft. Negative about having children makes you soft. It's true. But it makes like, you tired, I think. And then you yeah. just appreciate other people who say Cr they're tired. Try so. Oprah Winfrey and all sorts. You know, it's like, <laughs> It's made me a weak person. <laughs> uh, I, I share that. So uh, restaurant go, ends up going well, and then the opportunity comes up for uh, it was great, uh, great British menu. How did that come about? Do you know they just called? Yeah, I think there was a, an article in the Evening Express that suggested that we were tipped to get a Michelin star, something like that. And um, it was that same week that then the Great British Menu called and said that they found out I was from Scotland and wanted to know if I'd do the Great British Menu. Which I obviously said I'd love to. They came and filmed me and I didn't get in the first year. So um, I was a bit gutted. And then the next year they called me back and said that they've gone through all the old films from last year and they'd really like to get me in. With no, uh, so I didn't have to like be approved. I was already in and I was well stoked as you can imagine I'm a massive fan of Great British Menu I yeah I was so excited and it was such a great experience like the chefs you meet the people you meet it was amazing Did it, was it very time consuming did it take you out of the business for long or? yeah yeah it's kind of like six months Is it? on and off wow. you know from like from you getting the brief you've then got two weeks I think to write your menu then you've got three weeks to write your recipes and then you've got to wait for your whenever it is you're going to be filming. So you've got to practice your, your dishes. Then you've got to wait for the finals week. So it's eight weeks after that. And then if you're lucky enough to get through the banquet, you, you're there. But it's, it's not, maybe six months is more than a, it's not that much, but it's a long time. Did, did the business cope without you? Yeah, you know, one thing, one thing about both restaurants are that they, I think I'm a valuable part of the team, you know, like, my direction and my, my vision and the way that I am towards the team, they all tell me they love it when I'm in the kitchen and doing things, but they might be lying. <laughs> the, the, main, the main thing is that I feel I've built a team in both restaurants that can cope without me. You know, like, I obviously still step in and I do my, I do my thing and I'm working at 64 degrees, like, three days a week and I come in here whenever I can. It's just hard to commit, you know, with all like the other things to business, be it paperwork and financials and staff issues and HR and all the other bits and bobs you've got to worry about. 
it's hard for me to sit down and actually commit to being a chef. You know, so yeah. so I only go in when it's possible. Yeah, as an extra rather than as an essential part of the team in exactly. case you get in case you get pulled off. Yeah. So uh, first year you did it uh, two years I think in the 2016 you yeah. get to the final uh, yeah. didn't didn't quite nail it. How did that feel? How did that feel? Come, being so Horrendous. close. Yeah. Oh, I genuinely believe I'd won. In my mind, like my mackerel dish, I absolutely loved it, and everyone that was there was like, "It's amazing, you know, you've you've won." And everyone, all the chefs and everyone, had said to me like, oh, "You've definitely got this." Like the story behind it, the the dish itself, and all that. And I just thought, inside, I was like, "Amazing!" And I got four tens from the judges. I got four tens from Daniel Clifford. I got a ten from Daniel Clifford. And everyone sort of praised it. And then, you know, Tommy Banks walks in, steals the limelight. But, you know, he was amazing. So I can't really take that from him. But I was gutted for myself. I was extremely happy for Tommy and gutted for myself. But then it gave me the option, opportunity to come back again. Was and that the motivation to, to go back and finish? Yeah, definitely. I really felt like I had unfinished business. But I really want my fish course to win. There was something about it that... I felt like, and I still feel like, it's my fish course that I want, it's, it's the fish course I want to win. Not that I'm saying I'd go back, but. Because <laughs> what was it, the one, what was the dish in the, uh, the ox when tongue, you did My ox tongue. Was that the, uh, the grass is greener, is yeah. it that one? Yeah. The ox tongue with a zufield ravioli. But you're, um, not, but you're not happy, it needs to be fish. <laughs> it was fish that I wanted. The ox tongue, I'm happy that it won, and obviously it's the only ever awful dish, awful. Yeah, dish yeah, that's won you. the Great British even menu. with the accent oh, yeah. awful yeah. Um, <laughs> that's ever won the Great British menu and you know I, I mean I'm extremely the, 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 the nervous thing about ever going back would be obviously my first year I got 10 from the, the uh, veteran judge I got 4 tens from the judges and I almost won my first year and then the second year I got 10 from the veteran judge I got 4 tens from the judges on different things to be fair and then I won. So if I was to go back, where'd you go from get there? Kicked out from Thursday, oh. you know, that would just ruin ruin my whole day. Have you been invited? I have. I mean, when I finished, they asked if I'd do it again, and I said maybe. And my other half, Carla, said, "No, nah, he's not doing it." Again. <laughs> she's seen the stress. The boss, the boss she's seen behind the scenes. You yeah. did say she's occasionally right as well. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I am happier than myself not having to. Yeah, put yourself under stressful. that pressure. I mean, it's so hard. But it was such an enjoyable experience. More for, the reason I did it the second time as well, one of the main reasons I did it the second time was because of the sort of, the friendships you make, you know, like yeah. on the end of week. So the, on the finals week, it was so much fun. Like all the chefs, it was like doing, really it was like doing seven stages. You know, you're, you're all working together. You see, I, I was the only chef there that didn't have, that wasn't working either for or with an, a Michelin star chef. Everyone else, there was like nine Michelin stars and then me. And it was like, just seeing how all the other chefs worked was amazing. And then if there was no arrogance in the room, like everyone was so nice. And we all went out for drinks after, we all went out for a meal after, you know, it was just like, we all stayed in the same hotel. We all got picked up in the morning. It was such a great little, something that you never ha have the chance of doing. It was there. And yeah. that's something that really pushed me on. Amazing doing, like. to work with your peers at that level. So. Yeah, it was so great. And then you end up off the back of that, it's the uh, banquet at Wimbledon Tennis Club. How was that? Was that a, a low stress day? or? Was that, uh... that was, that, I think that could be the hardest day of my life. Really? Yeah. What did you have to do? 
had to make a hundred G-filled raviolis. <laughs> <laughs> that was the thing that tipped me Did over Did they the all edge. come with you and help out? Or did they no, all bugger no, off by that own. point? Oh, really? You, were, you won, you're on your own. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was... It was stressful, and I'm not going to lie. I, I found it very hard, just because I wanted to do my best, you know. And at the end of the day, I think when th when when it's taken away from you from giving it 100%, because you know they've obviously got to do filming, they've obviously got to stop you and say, right, can you do it again? Can you do it again? And then can you come down here? Um, can you come down here and play tennis for a bit and do all sort of stuff? And I'm thinking, <laughs> I've got I've got raviolis to make. Yeah. You know, I need to be pushing on. Yeah. Um, so I found that very stressful. Yeah, nice. But a great experience. So to help you relax, you opened this place. Yeah, yeah, yeah good. <laughs> I took your yeah, mind off for my, a little uh, bit. This is my happy place. Yeah. What was the uh, what was the motivation for doing another one then? Um, well, I'd done a, a second restaurant in London <clears throat> under the name Sixty Four Degrees as well. That didn't work out for me. Really? Um, learning a lot about business during that time. You know, oh. I lost a bit of money and just realizing that you're not as good as you think you are it's a, it's a, it's a really good thing to learn you know and um, it was a valuable experience for me um, so that was a that was one of the things that my other half Carl had said I'm not sure if this is the right time to do this and I was like nah be fine and then that, that was one that she'll never let me forget <laughs> um, so this actually was a new build site um, so the, the i360 had been built and I think, oh no, none of this had been built. And none of this was up. So it was all like a building site here. And we'd seen a sign as we walked past, or Carl had seen a sign when we walked past saying, um, call for information. There's gonna be two restaurants here. So there was, there's one here and then Flower Pot's got one there. Um, so Carla then came up to me and said, listen, I've got a crazy idea, but what do you think if, because um, I'd known I'd won the Great British menu, obviously, and it was gonna get shown like six months or eight months after I'd filmed it. And Carla was like, you know, it's going to be, it might be really good if we opened a second restaurant to sort of capture the, the, the moment. And what about down the beach? And we came down, we looked at it, we got a few, we went and viewed it. And it's, I mean, this was a total shell. And um, yeah, we basically, we basically did it, which was um, great. Different concept to 64 Degrees? Very different, yeah. So this is more beachy. It's about the product. You know, we don't really do anything flash to it. You know, we just get a beautiful piece of fish and we cook it very simply and serve it with, you know, salad new potatoes or whatever. And it's about the, again, it's about the experience in a different sort of way. You know, the food is well executed and great product that we get here. I think the view's incredible. And it's about, you know, the service and it's about I think the starter main courses and desserts here, whereas at 64 degrees, it's more about there's four fish, four meat, four veg. And you kind of make your own sort of kind of loose term, make your own taste in the menu sort of thing. So you pick six or eight dishes, whatever. And um, I love it down here. I mean, I've, this is my third day here this week. You know, I'm just kind of, I just come and come down and see the lads, get in the kitchen every now and again, sit and enjoy the view, do my work. Did and, you put a bar uh, in this one? We put a bar on this Did one, you? yeah. You're but Carla, Carla was a lot more involved because <laughs> when we opened 64 Degrees, we had had our second child, Heidi. Okay. So Carla was very, we were both very busy, but um, 
<laughs> I kind of went off on that. I, 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 yeah. Carla was a lot more involved here, so it kind of went a lot more smoother. <laughs> That's a good admission. She's going to love this. She yeah. is, yeah. <laughs> you're gonna, yeah, you're, you're going to get some credibility. Um, so as it stands now then, you've got, you've got two. Is this one, it's, uh, it's bigger, more covers in this one. Yeah, is so it? there's 38 covers inside and 40 covers outside. Okay, so a bit different. Is it, uh, is it very seasonal, being on the beach? It's extremely seasonal, yeah. So, um, although we've got these new umbrellas outside, so they're all heated and we've got a thing that comes between here, like a gutter, so we can do things outside. Um, and all, it's all lit up and stuff. Um, but yeah, if it's a horrendously rainy day, in the winter, it can be extremely quiet down here. But then if it's sunshine like today, you could do 300 covers, so. Wow. It swings around roundabouts. Can you flex your staff easily to cope with that? Or? Staffing is never an easy situation, you know? So we just kind of, what we try and achieve is understanding when our busy times of the year is, and we maximize the staff at that time. And then over winter time, we then reduce it to a skeleton team. And then in between that, we just have a certain percentage of what our forecast is for how busy we are. And based on that, we'll staff to that level. And if it's more busy, then we'll gauge it, you know, stagger the, stagger the flow and whatever else. I yeah. mean, Arwan's does front of the house. He's very good. He understands how, 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 to how not to yeah. completely destroy the kitchen in 20 minutes. Yeah. Ideally. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Otherwise, you'll get cooked. Um, so you've alluded to this already, I guess, that now you're a uh, restaurateur rather than just a chef and you've got these kind of, you know, uh, one, amazing opportunities about choosing what you want to sell people. Uh, two, I suppose, you know, suppliers that you want to use, where you get your food from, but you also get buried in, in kind of admin and email and legislation and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Out of everything you now do, what's the most rewarding part of, you know, your job and this industry for you? For me. For you personally, yeah. Most rewarding part. I, I mean, like I said earlier, the, my reward is sort of being able to go and cook in a kitchen that I really enjoy cooking in. I mean, that is really, that's really what I want to, to be able to do, you know? Not be committed to doing the 18 hours a day, six, five, six days a week, but just to be able to, I can rock into either site and and just cook, you know, and no one would think anything of it. And at the same time, it's not, it's not something that's gonna, it's just an extremely enjoyable thing that I can do in both sites, which not everyone has the opportunity to do that. It's true. It's quite a, uh, it's quite a big thing to create just so that occasionally you can go and kind of show off your fish to your, uh, to exactly. your brigade, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm sure you could have found an easier that. way. I do love doing that. <laughs> but that's, that's your favorite <laughs> bit. Um, there's a really high uh, failure rate in restaurants and we've seen it, I think, particularly the last probably 18 months, yeah. this, this uh, sea change, I think, and again, back in that casual dining particularly, I guess, although I think maybe that just gets more publicity than the independent sector, but we're seeing uh, cost of staff go up, we're seeing cost of produce go up, yeah. maybe an oversupply uh, in the market. Is there any kind of advice that you hear being given to people or in hospitality where you go, that's just nonsense, ignore it? Or is there any advice that you give? Because I guess in your position, people come to you and go, hey, look, you know, I really want to get into this industry where you say, right, whatever you do, do, you know what? do I this. Would, I would definitely, I don't really do advice because it is so subjective. I think what we do, you know, my opinion might not be everyone else's opinion. And I think with it, you've just got to go with what you know. Like, if I had any advice, 
one of it would be definitely to understand you know when you hear about people that just have a dream and they're like oh I fancy you opening a restaurant and I've been a architect for the last 20 years and now I've got X amount of money and I think I'm just going to open the doors to some restaurant and I would say to them listen get a job in a restaurant and go and work in there for a little bit because as much as the romance is like this could be amazing it's so hard and even for me even for me that's you know I've done this I've worked in the, the restaurant industry hospitality industry should we say for all of my sort of career you know since I was 15 16 and you know it is not as easy as I mean to make money is such a hard it's so hard you know to balance everything staff cost VAT I mean what is that about and having all these bills from bins to you know things you just do not think about it is brutal and yeah that would be my top advice would be just to to say to people do a stint in you know actually when I was funnily enough when I was working at um, I won't actually say the name of the restaurant when I was working at a restaurant a top restaurant in, whilst I was in London there was a point in time where the pastry chef had then said to the head chef that he'd gone for an interview to another restaurant and they'd offered him more money so he was trying to say to the head chef I'm looking for some more money and the head chef then turned to him and said you should go to the other job and then left him a little bit in a not great place but at the same time I remember his words what he said to me was never let anyone put you against the wall you know never put yourself in a position where you can't do the other person's job or you know you see all these like you see some people that have where head chefs can just sort of dictate to an owner because the owner is if he doesn't do what they do it's almost a hell that ransom and for me I would very much my advice would be be able to step in or be able to put yourself in a position that if anything did happen you can take over you know not necessarily be a head chef but you could say right well I could smash this for tonight and I'll worry about it tomorrow and because you know I've seen a lot of things where people you can be you can be put in a position of negativity and there's nothing worse than that mm, that's good advice I think you're you, that point on <laughs> people who've got a load of money and think a little bit of a trophy restaurant looks nice I can sit at the end of the bar and drink some nice wine and chat to yeah. some customers look lovely I, I know a lot of people who've lost a lot of money by uh, by trying to do this yeah. I was interviewing Mark Hicks a few weeks ago uh, in his garden down in, in deepest Dorset and I asked him uh, three times what advice would you give somebody to uh, open a restaurant in slightly different ways and his advice to every single one of them was don't that yeah. was basically it I think particularly you know he said it's just changed so much in the last few years that 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 ability to make money out of it compared to when he started you know 50 15 years ago with his own places was just uh, it was easier in those I days I think the competition I mean I don't think people understand that first of all a product costs um, a certain amount of money to get it right people still think you can get three courses for £20 I mean first of all if you are getting three courses for £20 what the hell are you eating I mean it's it ain't gonna be it ain't, it's been grown on a rat's back or something like that do you know what I mean it, it's not the thing that you think it is Unless it's a byproduct of something that they've got on the menu, which is again, it's. Um, I find it very hard to. You almost, feel, you know, like people say, "Oh, you're expensive," or "You're this, you're that." Or, TripAdvisor. I hate TripAdvisor. If I could change one thing in the world, it would be TripAdvisor. I'm not sure if I've said this before or not, but not, not to me. It's like 
No one in the world has a business plan of making someone's life miserable, you know? You don't walk into our industry and be like, right, table 15, let's make their day horrible. And we'll do 18 as well while we're at it. And you just think, like everybody, the amount of money to open a restaurant festival is insane. You know, there, there shouldn't be, it shouldn't be that expensive. But it is. Rent is insane. If you've got a, like a good location, it is, it can be enough to make you cry. I mean, there's a place down there, I won't even tell you what it is, but there's a place down there, a new place, which is bonkers. Anyone that takes that on is going to be insane to do it. Anyway, from the, the, the way that people can just say things on TripAdvisor about, don't go, I beg you, don't go there, let's shut down this restaurant. It's like, that's someone's life, you know? Someone's put their heart and soul into it. You might not agree with it. And any, re any restaurant or, or business person, if someone sent them an email directly and said, I just want to give you some advice. I just want to give you, not even advice, I just want to make a comment. My experience last night wasn't great. X, Y, Z happened. I just wanted to let you know. Any business owner would probably be like, I'm extremely grateful for that. Thank you very much. And then possibly whatever they're trying to achieve is then going to be achieved, you know? Like, and that business owner they then deal with the situation. I remember, I mean, there's only a, a handful of times where I'll specific, I, I don't do, I don't reply really. There's only been once I think I've replied to a, a TripAdvisor comment. I don't actually read TripAdvisor now because it upsets me too much. I said this earlier, but there's, there's I have, you know, my, my other half and everyone else reads them and then if there's anything that I need to know, then they'll, they'll, they'll fill me in. Just because I, I take it so personally, you know, when, you, when you're trying to like make a living and you're trying to do things to a way that, and there's no other, there's no other business in the world that you can say, like someone, a cashier or someone that works, you know, service at um, Asda, didn't like the way the woman looked at me. I thought she beeped my food aggressively. You think, like you just wouldn't do that? But then, it, it, we had a table here actually. I'm not gonna name any names. This is the only time I've ever replied. We had a table here and they, were, they got a bit leery and some of them, the, the group, climbed on top of the tables and then started to do a thing called a slut drop. Right? Not sure if you know what that is, but no, it's a dance move. Okay, that the youths are I'm doing nowadays. A bit uncool now. I was yeah. going to show you. I'll show you after. <laughs> okay, great. I'm looking forward to it. We could take a picture. Yeah. Anyway, this starts happening on a busy Saturday night, and the manager came over and said, "Is there any chance we can not do this?" Sort of in a polite way. Yeah. This is a restaurant, not a nightclub. Can we just chill out a little bit? To which then they leave grumpily and write this massive review with a picture of my manager saying. This guy's totally spoiled that night. And then had a massive rant about just that, that experience. And you think, who does that? It's outrageous, isn't it? It's outrageous. Mm. And then the way that people, if people, like my advice to everyone is out there. If you have a problem with something on your food, especially in my restaurant, anyway, if you don't eat it and you give it back to someone and say, this isn't for me, I, you know, I appreciate it, what you're doing, but this dish, I don't like it or it's not for me. They will take it away and they will, you know, they won't charge you for that and they will also probably change it for something else that you do want. And that's just common sense. But to either leave it and then not say anything, pay for it, and then get home and say, it was horrendous, I hated it, is just stupid. 
it's it's depressing kind of side of, of humanity, I think. Isn't yeah, it? I just and, don't get it at no, all. It, I, I share. Yeah, your perspective times 10. And I was the same. I, I, when I had a, an Apple Watch and uh, back in the day, I used to get every review would come through, not only to my phone, but it would come through to my watch. I didn't know how to turn it off. It's mm. like I was signed in to whatever it was, whether it be Google or Facebook or TripAdvisor. And I'd be out with the kids at the weekend, you know, just having a nice day or whatever. And I'd start seeing these reviews come through and you'd be going, look, I know that, you know, the, 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 the pressure's probably on. It's a sunny day. It's in the summer. And all of a sudden you'd see, you know, like a couple of negative reviews. And it would, my, my wife would be like, what have you seen? What have you read? Nothing, yeah. darling, nothing, darling. And it would ruin your day to the point where I wanted to pop around to these people's houses on the way home. Not because I wanted to threaten them or, or shout them. I just wanted to explain and go, you know, you're, you're so opinionated and so rude, uh, yet you've got no idea how much work goes on behind the scenes. You kind of put, it's a license to print money. You've got a restaurant on the beach. You don't care. And I'm like, you know, don't care. There's, there's, a, there's six managers down there. There's a brigade of chefs who've been working at this restaurant for seven years, you know, and all they do every single day is go in there and try and make people happy. Like you say, they never go in, never go in and go, right, how many people can I irritate today? Yeah. Their sole objective is to look after you and make sure you have a good time. So yes, we might mess it up. Absolutely, we might mess it up, but it's never because no one's perfect. we want to. You know, no. I'm at home, I'll burn a toast every now and yeah, again. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. You've got to take account for something. Yeah. And it goes back to my whole thing about working 18 hours a day and things. Like, life is not that important. Yeah. Life is important. I mean, the moment is not that important. You yeah. know, like, if you didn't enjoy your meal, just don't go back and send, yeah. the, send a message to the person saying, listen, I, I didn't get what you do. I didn't like the meal. This is why. Thank you. I shan't be coming back. Yeah. Cool. You know, I'm cool with that. Yeah. If someone doesn't want to come and eat in my restaurant, Happy days. I can give you 20 other restaurants in Brighton. That's amazing. But don't try and shut down my business. You know, like yeah. don't try and make my life misery yeah. because yeah. you've got the power I, to I, sit on front of a computer and no one sees what your face yeah, looks like. I can't pay my mortgage. I lose the house. The kids can't go to, you know, to the to, to, to school or whatever. And you just think, why would you do that to somebody's life? How exactly. can you be that obnoxious? And also... Just over a pasta. Yeah. Or just over a tomato and, being cut. Yeah, and angle. demonstrate to me where you're kind of, you know, putting your balls on the line and grafting and stuff. I always say to, to my accountant, because I have these little rants, and I say, look, nobody goes online and does that with your business. Nobody goes, you know, it was a Monday and they'd run out of uh, staples when I went there or paper clips and it's outrageous. Exactly. And your supplier, you know, the, all right, the fishing boat might not have been out because it was really rough at sea Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and it's, and it's a Monday, so we haven't got any fish. You know, we've got loads of other food, but yeah, there was no there was no fish specials on the on the specials board. And you're like, there's a reason for that. You know, yeah. we don't get our food out of the freezer. I've had one star yeah. reviews for people that couldn't get into the restaurant. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, yeah. you don't even. That's have not to my bean. fault. I'm sorry. <laughs> like book earlier, and yeah. then yeah, it just. It's interesting because it's such a. I think yeah, I think it's a, it's a scandal that it that it happens. I don't know what you do about it because it's a, a country of free choice, but it's not in every industry. But yet the flip side is that review you got in the paper, you know, was was a, was a game changer for you. So yeah. uh, we should just let people who, who maybe know what they're talking about reviewing papers and get rid of the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, the sad thing as well is that you know, this is a part of it that I hate is the people that give lots of compliments, they almost get overlooked. Mm. They're the ones that are like, oh great, you know, that, uh, yeah. Janice from whatever or Kevin from whatever, they love their meal. You almost like bypass that to go to the person that's really annoyed you for the one star. And the person that is giving you a compliment, you're not giving them enough attention. You know, yeah. you're not giving them the ability. You're not, you're not in a position to be able to say thank you. Mm. You know, because if you say thank you to them, then you've got to say, <laughs> you know, to the other person. Yeah. And I, I yeah, yeah, I just, it's, I just it's, would rather step away from it and yeah. just be not my world. I yeah. just want that. 
That's well, a thing that I do not focus on. Yeah, I say to my team now, I mean, I, you know, I'm super busy. It's an industry where you've got to have a kind of positivity and an energy. And I say there's, there's three types of meetings or experiences or things that happens. There's stuff that gives me energy. There's stuff that's kind of energy neutral and there's stuff that drains my energy. And anything now that really drains my energy, I really, really try and avoid it. And all of that kind of, yeah, reviews I mean, we, and tripadvisor. We have gained from it once, actually. Was, uh, there was a few comments made over a, a period of time that was about the seats that we have down there used to not have backs on them. And there was a few comments made about that. And it got to a stage where I thought, at the beginning I thought, oh, I quite like them still, so I'm gonna keep them. And then it got to a few more, and I thought, oh, maybe we should think about it. And then it got to a few more, and now we've changed it. So I do take on what people say, if it's, if it's warranted. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you've got to stand by what you do sometimes. You've got to look at something and say, this is my idea. If my idea is standing on the beach naked with an oyster shucker and some oysters. That's your idea. And if the selling point is the fact that you being there naked, then you roll with that. And if someone comes home and says they don't like you being naked, you shouldn't really have to put your clothes back on. I mean, obviously for legal reasons you might. <laughs> but if that, is your, if that is your selling point, yeah. then roll with it, you know? Like you don't want to change your concept or your idea too much for the customer. Yeah. Yeah. You should stick to your guns a little bit. Otherwise, the world becomes beige. It's kind of the point of this podcast is that if we just roll out formulaic, dull, compliant stuff that everybody kind of you know, goes, yes, that's fine. Where's the excitement? Somebody's yeah. got to be brave and go out there and try and do something different. And then it's Marmite, isn't it? Not everybody likes Marmite. That's just the way it is, isn't it? I love so, uh, Have you tried the Marmite and peanut butter thing? No. Oh, mate. But it I do is love Marmite. Epic. Is it? Yeah. Good. All right. Well, we'll do that. That's lunch. Um, <laughs> I think you, you might have alluded to this briefly just a second ago, but uh, we're, we're pretty much done. But is there anything you think the uh, the government should do, could do for this industry? You know, it, it feels a little bit like it's on its knees at the moment. There's a lot of uh, places going under. What should they do to help? I mean, if you take that, if you take the amount of money over the over the course of whatever you take in a year the government must take, God, 60% of it, is it or something like that, you know, from if you think about rent, I mean, uh, council's my rent. Yeah, rates. Rates. Um, VAT. The bank collection. NI. VAT, yeah. National insurance, the pension, all these things. Like, there needs, there needs to be, like, it, it almost gets to a stage where it's not worth it. And if that's the case, and every restaurant starts thinking about that, then the amount of jobs, I mean, I hire, 40 people and I'm relatively oh, I must be not, 50 people and I'm relatively small compared to other places and it's almost getting to a position where it's not beneficial I'm almost better almost better to go and be a head chef or an executive chef or something like that in a, in a country as a tell and that is not where I want to be for one but at the same time it can't just be one dimensional and focus on, I mean, I'm not saying we don't pay our fair share. I mean, everyone should pay their fair share. I'm a big believer of that. But it's not fair at the moment, you know? It's very, it's very much on their favor. Yeah. And even to the point that, well, I won't get into that. I'm gonna leave that comment I was gonna say. <laughs> because um, I just think that there needs to be, a, especially in seasonal, restaurant the seasonal places i just think i just don't think they need to be charging as much for everything you know like there should be like tax reliefs or whatever for 
seasonal locations at certain times of the year, or just, I mean, that's kind of unfair to the to businesses in general, but, you know, we're here to, we're here to make people happy. And it's almost like the government is, is abusing that. Mm. I think VAT is a big one, isn't it? Because you can go into a supermarket and buy food. Food's considered to be an essential, so you don't pay VAT. Go into a restaurant and have it served to you, and all of a sudden it's not essential, it's a luxury, and we charge... VAT on it and yeah. I don't think people appreciate how much of what your bill is actually goes straight to the tax man I think there's you know there's been studies that have shown how quickly if you if you took if you charge the minimum rate in VAT or either got rid of it or charge the minimum rate the sort of 5% rate in, in hospitality how quickly that would actually generate jobs and within two years uh, it would be self-financing but for me you know, hospitality is placemaking. People go and live in cities because it's got a great bar and a great restaurant scene. You know, people will sit on my restaurant and the beach in Bournemouth on a balcony overlooking the ocean, and I'm sure they do the same here. And you go, you know what? I'm going to move to that city. I'm going to move to that town. And then they start paying their council tax and all of their other rates and their other rents. For me, I think the way that we live now, restaurants are no longer a, a luxury. We just eat food more on the go. And we should, we should release a little bit of pressure off of that sector because it's a massive employer of people. But People have got to eat. People have got to be fed. So yeah, yeah. let's 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 release the pressure and help make places. There are places in Brighton that are closed or closing. Or, yeah. I mean, the the cost of rent, the and all that sort of stuff. It's like they're never going to get. There needs to be a cap on things. Yeah. Know? Like there needs to be a position where it is. It's a fair representation of what, what is what is getting done. Yeah. And I don't think it is. It's just not fair. You mm. know. And my worry is that the only people who can then make it work are the massive kind of, you know, national companies who can screw the margin down so much on what they're buying. Yeah, but then the produce that they're buying and is and they sell, they, rubbish. They, they, they sell oh. mediocrity, which is, which is really frustrating. Again, you know, going back to your point on... But then it's putting money into the farmers' pockets. For us, you know, we're, giving, we're putting money in the farmers' pockets, we're putting money in the local butchers' pockets, the local um, suppliers. Like, I feel like we do a lot, you know? Mm. I feel like, you know, I do a lot... Of, I, try and do a lot for charities and all these sorts of things. I just feel like at the end of the, at the end, end of the day, you think, is it worth it? Are we doing the right thing or are we not? And that's yeah. a dangerous part of the position to be in. It I is. mean, I think right now, right now is the time that things need to change, mm. especially in the UK with the whole God forbid Brexit thing that everyone's talking about. You know, it's like, what is going to happen? I know that there's, just the eating culture in Brighton's changed. I've noticed a massive difference. And I think everyone's sort of panicking. It's a challenging time. Uh, I hope it. Uh, I hope it's recognised. I hope you know, changing government again today. Um, I hope they listen to to the hospitality trade because I think it's you know it's an incredible uh, industry. The point of doing this this podcast really is to talk to the the kind of you know the smaller providers like you and the suppliers and go yeah we don't want to just have these big national chains that can make the margins work. We need to celebrate those local independents. And as you've alluded to, uh, margins are tight. It's super hard. So anybody who's listening, you know, always. And support the little guy. Yeah, sadly, they're, they're, I think they're focusing more on. It always reverts back to money, which is, you know, I certainly don't do what I do for money. I do yeah. it for the love of things. Yeah. And, you know, not that the government would ever do it for the love of things, but at the same time, I think there needs to be an understanding of how we all work. And I don't think they understand that. Yeah. No. Well, mate, I hope this weather lasts and then you'll at least have a, uh, a busy summer. If people want to follow you or your uh, businesses, where's the best place to go? Social media or website? Or? So our website, yeah, you've got um, 
www.co.uk. So everyone I ask this question has the same response where they go, shit, I don't think I know. I don't think I know. <laughs> you, I think my, you never uh, go on your own website. My Instagram is... Um, <laughs> <laughs> stalling whilst uh, gets out phone yeah uh, it's, a, a quick, it's a beautiful uh, thing look. yeah let's just uh, fill in the gap let me just uh, find out it's right here <laughs> it's Chef Michael Blam now perfect that's, that's, that's um, good that you used your name that'll help you remember it and you got Chef 64 Degrees and you got Mama underscore restaurant on Instagram cool okay and Facebook's I'll find a the... good one though Facebook yeah. you go on Facebook and you always get um 64 degrees in Marma and you'll, you'll find us you'll find us alright I'll put some uh, I'll put some links on the show notes as well so uh, thank you so much for sparing the time it's been fascinating good luck I, lo- I love uh, yeah, what, you, what you've done love your places I could easily uh, spend the rest of the day here uh, overlooking the ocean but uh, good luck I hope it all goes well and if you do go back um, I hope your fish dish wins thank you cheers So there you have it. You have reached the end of another episode of the Humans of Hospitality podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please go and visit our website, humansofhospitality.co.uk for the show notes and extra episodes and information. And whilst you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter and to receive free materials all about the humans behind our incredible industry. Lastly, if you could subscribe, rate and review this podcast, you will be massively helping me out and it would be hugely appreciated. Thank you so much. We'll be launching another podcast in just seven days time. Cheers. Cheers.